if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. And hour number two is now underway at eight minutes past 10 o'clock. Thank you so very much for joining us on AM 1420. The answer. It's Thursday, the 23rd month, <clears throat> excuse me, day of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2020. You just heard some of the grim news. Uh, here's, uh, here's some of the cure for the coronavirus. 4.4 million people unemployed. Now over 26 million people in the last five weeks unemployed. Uh, that's the cure. That's the cure. Poverty. Unable to pay, people unable to pay their mortgage, pay their rents, pay their health insurance, pay their car payments, pay for their kids' food, for goodness sakes. That's secure. No, that won't lead to suicides. That won't lead to drug dependency, alcoholism, alcohol-related deaths, domestic violence, and more. No, the only deaths that matter are the COVID-19 deaths. Remember that. Animal Farm at work. It's the Animal Farm mortality uh, the, uh, mindset. Some deaths are more equal than others. The only deaths that matter are the COVID-19 deaths. All right, time to bring in our good friend, Dr. Everett Piper. Uh, back to our program. Dr. Piper is, of course, the former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He is a best-selling author of a book called Not a Daycare, which is just phenomenal, a tremendous read. It's what helped him rise to prominence. He's now a weekly columnist for the Washington Times, as well as a highly sought-after public speaker. Dr. Piper, good to have you back on the program, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. I hope you are, too. I am, sir. Thank you very much for that. Um, can we can we start? I know you and I always uh, kind of prep our, our conversations with one another to talk about certain subjects, but can you speak to uh, Andrew Cuomo? Uh, and, and that is the first subject, but I'm going to ask a little bit of a different question here because Andrew Cuomo and uh, orders to de- not, uh, do not resuscitate uh, senior citizens who are in certain circumstances who come down with COVID-19, uh, that's going to be the first part of our discussion. But, but Dr. Piper... I was just playing his part of his press conference yesterday in New York in which he argued with the, a reporter who suggested that the cure might be worse than the disease uh, by saying, how can that be when the disease is death? The disease is death. One percent 
of people who get COVID-19 are going to die from it. One per 99% of the people, the disease is not death. And he completely just discounts all of the other things that I opened with, the things that are killing people, and study after study after study during economic recessions and times of economic calamity or high inflation. They prove that death happens in extraordinary numbers because of that. Can you speak to that uh, on Dr. Or on uh, Andrew Cuomo before we get to the DNR? Uh, yeah. A, you know, the irony here, and, and I love your reference to animal farm and how some deaths are more equal than other deaths. I mean, it's a great paraphrase of animal farm. And in, in the lunacy of where we're going in terms of thought control, thought police, and the elitism of oligarchs and these know-it-alls that think that they can impose their definitions of equality, their definitions of safety, their definitions of what it means to be a human being and a free people, or a kind of people that aren't free because some freedom is more equal to other freedom. I mean, it's just nonsense, and Animal Farm warned us of this. Thank you for doing that. So let's get back to your question. Can I speak to this? Well, I'll speak to it as an academic. I made my entire career in the ivory tower, and I was that rare conservative in the ivory tower. Almost everybody else was progressive and proud of it. And what did I hear every day for some 35 years of working in the ivory tower? Well, it's the economy, stupid. It's economics that causes people to do bad things. We wouldn't have terrorism if we would just stop uh, destroying the economy of the Middle East with our boycotts and our various different uh, hard-handed approach to how we deal with Middle East countries. We wouldn't have these negative things taking place in the world if we would just exercise utopian economics and it would solve all the world's problems. Well, isn't it ironic now that the progressives that have been teaching us and preaching this and forcing us to listen to that pablum for 35, 40, 50 years are now the ones destroying the economy and claiming that it has no negative or adverse effects on culture. It's the exact opposite of what they've been saying. Now, all of a sudden, it's not the economy, stupid. It's not the negative effects of the the economy that we should worry about. It's just the fact that this COVID-19 needs to be controlled and needs to be suppressed. Well, wait a second, King Cuomo. I thought the economy was something you cared about. I thought the economy was the cause of societal dysfunction. I thought the economy needed to be attended to first and foremost if we wanted to solve the world's problems. What happened overnight? What happened is now you've seen an opportunity to gain more power, so you're never let a good never going to let a good crisis go to waste. You're going to chuck all the stuff you used to say about the economy, and you're going to use your heavy-handed approach to silence opposition. That is exactly right, and it is uh, it is so frustrating that more people don't get it. And I guess the reason they don't is because they're not hearing it, hearing it in those terms. They're hearing it from you know from uh, Chris Cuomo or from uh, Don Lemon or somebody rather than somebody uh, who's being intellectually honest with us like you are. Let me stay on uh, Andrew Cuomo because this was going to be the first thing that we talked about today anyway. Um, he. And his health director, we focus a lot on Ohio's health director here on our, on our program or my program, Dr. Piper, but let's, uh, let's talk about Andrew Cuomo and his health director who have decided that they are indeed God. And I know that sounds to be a little bit hyperbolic. It's really not though. They have issued new guidelines 
um, that say do not resuscitate cardiac patients because of the overload of coronavirus patients they are dealing with in New York. Um, so the new guideline basically says if you do not have a pulse, they will not try to revive you. When paramedics uh, were previously told to spend up to 20 minutes trying to revive people found in cardiac arrest, the new guideline is, nah, don't bother. They've lived their life. We've got COVID patients to deal with. Let them stay dead. Uh Dr. Piper, I, 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 I'm almost at a loss for words on this, um, but I'm gonna, so I'm going to let you use yours. Yeah, and this is the guy who just a couple weeks ago told us that every life matters, and we need to attend the COVID <laughs> crisis because every life matters. Again, every life except the ones that he decides don't matter. It's exactly what he just said, because if you or I had a heart attack today and the ambulance shows up, they're being told in the state of New York not to do CPR and try to revive us because they need to spend their time on COVID patients. So the COVID life matters, but the heart attack life doesn't. Who decided that? Not God, the king of New York. King Como has decided that there are certain lives that are more equal than other lives And if you've got the COVID-19 label on your life or on your crisis, we'll take care of you because we can get more money from the Fed if we claim that you have COVID. But we can't get any more money out of the Fed if we just claim that you had a heart attack. That's what it all boils down to, Bob. It goes back to the money and it goes back to power. Yeah, it really does. And and let's talk about the... um and by the way, when you mentioned this is a guy who said that every life matters again, except not except for the cardiac lives that again you know that you just discussed, but also well, let's not forget that it was what uh, less than a year ago I think that Andrew Cuomo put his name on the dotted line to allow a mother to ask her doctor to kill her baby literally at the moment of birth in the state of New York. So let's let's remember the man that says every life matters. Well, not the old lives and not the unborn lives, or they're about to be born lives, just the ones that we just. And, and right now we're deciding on the COVID lives. So let's point that out, too. Now, let's talk about the way they're wielding that power. Um, I, I mentioned um, uh, his decision and his uh, state director there. There's a, quite a controversy going on uh, with our state director of health, or the, of the Ohio Department of Health here in Ohio. She announced at her press briefing or their press briefing with Governor Mike DeWine a couple of days ago that it would be her dream if, like some other countries, uh, we were to require people to carry around certification or identification proving that they are disease-free, that if you have the antibodies because you've already been infected by coronavirus and now you are immune, you'll get a card or certification and we'll track you and you'll need that to, quote, go about your business. The inference being that if you have not yet had the disease and you are under quarantine, you will remain under quarantine because you haven't yet had the disease and you haven't been able to build up the antibodies. So it's kind of a catch-22. You can't get the disease if you're quarantined, but the only way you can get out of quarantine is if you have the disease and then thus have the antibodies. Um, She's been compared by many, including one state senator and yours truly, to trying to enact something from the 1930s Nazi Germany era, where they made Jews carry papers to get into to identify themselves uh, any time they were asked in public. It sounds unbelievable. It sounds more than authoritarian, but it's something that she said would be her dream. Your thoughts, sir? Well, and this just isn't um, an exaggerated scenario where we can all just shrug it off and say, "Well, never in the United States." 
I was just on a webinar yesterday with a panel of people discussing the situation in Italy. It was actually hosted by a couple of our friends, uh, Roman Catholic friends in Rome, who uh, coordinated this. And they wanted uh, a group of three, three individuals, myself being among the three, to talk about the issues of freedom versus safety. Religious freedom in Rome, religious freedom in the United States, religious freedom for the human being, as it compares to this call for safety. And so we had a long conversation on a webinar yesterday. But this whole issue came up that you're addressing right now. This issue of uh, flagging people, tagging people, tracking people. They are going to do it in Italy. They are saying right now that they will not release the economy of Italy. They will not release the Italian citizens until they can figure out a way to track everybody to make sure that they have been confirmed to be COVID-free. That is going to take place in Italy, the home of the Church, a nation that still claims to have the official religion of the Church, but yet they are ignoring the teaching of the Church that we should be aware and beware of this danger of being told that you can't buy or sell unless you have a mark. Does this sound familiar? Yes, it and does. How are they going? How are they going to track us? If I don't want to buy a cell phone, if I don't want to use a, a, uh, a smart device, are they going to force me to have one? Or will they say, well, if you don't want to have a smart device, then we'll just implant that chip in the back of your hand or in your bicep. We can track you different ways. Oh, that'll never happen. Now you've really jumped, you've really jumped the line, Everett, by suggesting that. Really? Really? Are we that far away from somebody in Washington, D.C., in Beijing or the Beltway or even in Belgium, are we that far away from these oligarchs, these elites, those people that fancy themselves as better than us, the Andrew Cuomo's of the world, telling us, for the sake of your safety, we need to track you. So either have it on your cell phone, or if you can't afford a cell phone, we'll take care of it for free, and we'll give you a chip a different way. My son, Bob, is 25, 26 years old, and he has made the decision that he doesn't want the ball and chain of a cell phone around his social life, spiritual life, and intellectual life any longer. He made this decision long ago. He does not own a cell phone. He just goes with the old flip phone because he doesn't want to be addicted to all this nonsense. Are they going to force him to be chipped in a different way because he doesn't own a cell phone? We need to be asking these questions because this is the type of thing that's being discussed by your officials in Ohio, not just King Como in New York. You're exactly right. And uh, I did a piece last week called Governor's Gone Wild because it is going on all over this country, not just Ohio, not just New York, and, and in a different way because you've talked about the reddest of red states, Oklahoma, some of these things, maybe not at the state level, but at certain cities uh, at those levels, it is going on as well. The power grab has been extraordinary, and they are not letting go. Uh, Dr. Everett Piper comes back with us for one more segment after this on AM 1420, The Answer.
1024 now we continue. Got one more segment with our friend Dr. Everett Piper, who is a weekly columnist with the Washington Times, which we tell you about all the time each and every weekend. He's got a great piece out. Sometimes it's a little late for us because we have him on Thursdays, but uh, it's still relevant. And let's talk a little bit more about the loss of liberty that you included uh, or that you wrote, I should say, uh, in your last piece about. And I want to talk about Montana. Uh, Dr. Piper, the, you know, you're talking about chipping and, uh, you know, forced compliance in, in various ways, whether it be through devices or chipping. But I was going back to the certification or the ID card, and I, I and others, including, as I mentioned before, a, uh, a, uh, uh, state senator here in Ohio talked about how reminiscent this was of Nazi, Nazi Germany, and I I kind of said why why require the certificate, which is a little cumbersome to carry. Why not just put yellow stars on their coats and identify them that way? Which of course is a reference to what we were talking about in Nazi Germany. Well, in Montana, a county in Montana, Doctor Piper, they're pretty much there. Not yellow stars, but they've decided pink armbands must be worn. Anybody who comes to that county, who is not known inside that county, in other words, they're an outsider, they must quarantine for 14 days and submit proof of their quarantine. Then they'll be issued a pink armband. If they don't have a pink armband and they try to engage in commerce in that county, they are denied service. They are not allowed to be in. So when we talk about sacrificing liberty in, in, you know, for, in Ben Franklin's line about, you know, for a little bit of safety, um, we, we are not that far off here from a yellow star <laughs> telling people, uh, you know, if we don't know who you are, you are, and you don't have a pink armband, you are to disperse. You are to evacuate this premises. Go ahead. Well, and I covered last week on your show in Venita, Oklahoma, the same draconian measures. I mean, they said that you can't go hunting alone. If you're caught hunting alone in Venita, Oklahoma, if you're caught fishing in the local lake alone in Venita, Oklahoma, you could be fined up to $500 and 12 months in jail. Alone. You are not threatening anybody's safety if you're out alone. That's how far they're taking this because of their quest for power, whether it be a pink armband, a yellow star, or just arresting you because you're out in your pickup alone on the way to the lake to go fishing. In Michigan, as you know, there were helicopters flying over one of the golf clubs, patrolling it to make sure that people weren't golfing alone. You could go on and on. I can go to McDonald's and buy a burger, but I can't go to my church and read my Bible in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. What sense does that make? I can get a burger from a 17-year-old at the drive-in window at McDonald's. The 17-year-old doesn't know squat about sanitation or hygiene or care, and she is handing me a burger. She has no mask. She has no precautions whatsoever through the drive-in window, but yet the elite, the smarter than thou's, are telling us that I can't go to a drive-in service at my local church. This is asinine. It makes no sense. It is the abdication of freedom for the sake of safety. And as I said in my article that you just referenced, it was in last Sunday's edition of the Washington Times, When we sacrifice freedom for the sake of safety, when you give up human freedom for the sake of human safety, you almost always diminish the definition of the human being. In fact, your lead quote to your program, which cites Ronald Reagan talking about the enemies of freedom, then he goes on to say, we cherish peace. Well, let's paraphrase Reagan. We cherish safety. We will fight for safety. We will sacrifice for safety. 
but we will never surrender for safety. That's what Reagan was saying, because what? Freedom is a higher good. Freedom is the summum bonum, the highest good, the highest good of the human race. Freedom is what the American experiment is all about, not safety. As I've said on your show before, Bob, in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis tells us that the Christ figure, Aslan, is good, but he's not safe. So let's paraphrase C.S. Lewis. Christianity is good, but it isn't safe. Jesus is good, but he's not safe. Freedom is good, but it's not safe. We have to get our first things first. Otherwise, like C.S. Lewis and Plato both told us, when you put second things first, you neither get the second nor the first. You have to have first things first if you want the first or the second. And what we're doing right now in our culture is we're elevating the second thing of peace and safety above the first thing of freedom. And what we're doing is sacrificing the human being in the process. You know, I'm staring at the second-to-last paragraph in your column from this past Sunday, and I was going to ask you about it, and you already hit it, which is that the fr- I'll wrap it with this, then. The most frustrating thing about everything that you just said, while being 100% accurate, is that we can't truly even define safety. Because in this case, with what's going on now, sacrificing liberty for safety and everything that you just detailed, um, it, it would, 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 would still be valid if we were indeed now all safe from harm or death because of these actions of sacrificing our liberty. But the fact of the matter is, this is only de- geared toward one element of safety, and that's safety from the virus and all of the other dangers that, 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 you know, this this course of action that we have undertaken have, have presented are considered irrelevant. We are not safe from suicides. We are not safe from all of the other things that you and I have talked about in this half hour. Um, and yet we're still sacrificing our liberty for just that small version of safety uh, that, that they're talking about with the coronavirus. And that makes it even that much more absurd. Spot on. Dr. Piper, thank you so much. Wonderful uh, piece, uh, a wonderful conversation as always. Stay healthy, sir, and we'll talk to you next week. Blessings. Bye bye. 10:30 news time now on 1420 the answer. The the answer. Ten thirty-seven now. As we continue on a very, very busy Thursday, thank you so much for uh, being a part of our conversation today. It's been uh, it's been kind of crazy. Uh, thanks again to Mike Goldstein for jumping on to talk about the uh, alleged anti-Semitism among protesters, which is just insane outside the Ohio State House. Thanks to Doctor Everett Piper for all of the wisdom as it pertains to liberty versus security slash safety that cannot even be uh, guaranteed in the first place. And thanks now to uh, Bob Paduchek, who, of course, is a senior advisor to the Trump 2020 campaign, joining us to talk about, well, politics. We haven't talked a lot of politics. We've all always talked about viruses and, and state orders. We have not talked a ton about the campaign that is going to lead to President Trump's reelection in November. Bob Paduchek, good to have you back. How are you? Bob, it's great to be with you and uh, great to be virtually up in northeast Ohio. How crazy is it? You know, I mean, seriously, it is April in this re-election year for the president. And, you know, 
every day we're talking about the same thing. And I'm not suggesting that's wrong because our country has right. been paralyzed, literally paralyzed and brought to its economic knees by some of the decisions that have been made uh, about shutting down. But because we're doing this, I mean, really nobody, uh, except for very rare exceptions, we're, are even talking about the fact that, you know, come November, we've got to decide on the leader of the free world. Um, it, it, how have you and the campaign and those on the campaign been adjusting to this new uh, this new reality? Well, I think we've adjusted really well. We we had a huge advantage over uh, Joe Biden, who just you know recently became the presumptive Democrat nominee. And and during that time, for over a year now, we've had staff on the ground here in Ohio, especially up in northeastern Ohio in the Mahoning Valley in Cleveland and and Akron Canton areas as well. And, and those staffers have been organizing and meeting with people and, and getting ready for the get-out-the-vote effort that's required to win a presidential election in Ohio. So they, the Biden campaign doesn't have anything like that. The DNC has nothing in Ohio. The, the Ohio Democrat Party it can barely, you know, uh, keep the lights on. And so for us, that advantage has been in place. Now, now since the pandemic started and the stay-at-home orders come across, we have shifted to a very digital, virtual approach to things. Not only just things like uh, contacting voters by phone and online, but even doing virtual fundraisers and doing meetups and meetings in an online manner so that we can, you know, comply with the governor's order, but also reach out to supporters and voters and, uh, and keep them apprised of what's going on with the campaign. How difficult has this been for President Trump? And I'm not saying you have a meeting with him every day, but, you know, he's obviously all consumed with dealing with the coronavirus, trying to figure out how to get the economy jump started again in the wake of, well, not in the wake of all this. We're still in the middle of it. Um, we know how much he loves his rallies. We know how much he loves to get out there with the people and sending his message in his own unique style to the people. That can't be done on a digital, in a digital format by the president. It can't, you know, it just doesn't have the same zing, if, you know, even if he had time to do things like that, to do rallies online or meetups in such ways. So for the president uh, himself, uh, how hard yeah. is that? Uh, absolutely. It's tough. But, I mean, first and foremost in his mind is, is not the campaign. It's first uh, the safety and well-being of the American people, not just from a health aspect, but importantly from an economic health, an economic aspect. I mean, here's a guy that rebuilt the American economy into a way the strongest it's ever been in my lifetime. And and now it's been forced, not because of the strength of or weakness of the economy, but it's been forced to basically, you know, shut down. And so... Uh, I know he misses the rallies. He loves the rallies. I know people miss them. Supporters miss them. But look, you know, like like everyone else in this country, that whether you're a a small business or a large business, you have had to uh, adapt and change uh, how you do things. Those that are fortunate enough to still be in business, uh, and and even those that aren't, have have had huge changes that they've had to undergo. So I think, you know, for us, from the campaign's perspective, the adjustments for us have been pretty minimal compared to everybody else uh, out there, uh, in, not just in Ohio, but across this great country. And, and, and we've dealt with it. We, you know, campaigns teach you to adapt and, and be flexible because you never know what might happen. And so for us, it, it, it's not been that big of a, a, an impact. But I know the president would love to be back on the road. There's nothing he likes more 
than meeting the great people of this country that, that are patriots that support his campaign and, and support the United States of America. We are talking to uh, Bob Paduchik with the Trump 2020 campaign. Bob, um, how is this going to affect the president's reelection chances with those who are not Trump train riders? And by this, of course, I mean the economy, the fact that, what was the number today? 4.4 million more added to the unemployment yeah. rolls due to the mandatory shutdowns in so many states. And uh, businesses are closing by the thousands. And we're talking not not temporarily, but permanently closing by the thousands. Uh, obviously, it's not the president's fault that we have the coronavirus. But, right. But it, it, it's his country right now, and it's his economy right now, and and he's going to be graded on a how he deals with that, and b how he can try to start reviving this thing. So I'm not worried about the Trump train riders, the ones who want to see those rallies, right, the ones who are right. in his corner every step, but the ones that are on the fringes, maybe, maybe not, the ones that may not like Biden, but they'll stay home rather than go out there and vote for either one of them. Those kinds of people. How how is this next five months? going to impact uh, the president's ability to get reelected, knowing that he can't really do a ton to change all of this. Well, you know, one of the things that, that people tend to forget sometimes in campaigns is, is the election ends up being a binary choice. In 2016, it was a binary choice between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. And, and people in Ohio, particularly Northeast Ohio, overwhelmingly supported uh, President Trump. And this will be a binary choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And and President Trump has done a fantastic job with the economy. He's doing a fantastic job dealing with this virus. And so it's easy to measure what you can expect from him. And then you look at Joe Biden where, you know, let's face it, you know, taking some off, some has come off of his fastball just a bit. And, and, and do people want to risk taking on a, a, taking Joe Biden on, a guy that was part of an administration that oversaw one of the weakest recoveries our nation's ever seen, uh, versus somebody who's strengthened our economy, done a fantastic job in dealing with this virus, and is the best person that's capable to get the economy jump started again. The practical Americans that are out there that haven't made up their decision, I think, will come President Trump's way close to Election Day. Because when they start thinking about the election and they're not thinking about other things in their lives, they will focus and say, hey, here's the choice. It's, it's really clear. I know a guy that is a proven leader that can get the job done and get this economy going again versus a guy that was part of one of the most regulatory heavy regimes that – that, that 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 beat down America's economy and and kept it in a stasis. Uh, so look, I I think the choice is pretty clear, and I think the president's going to get reelected. You know, Bob, you were kind, I think, when you said that Joe Biden has lost something on his fastball. Um, I, look, I'm not a doctor of uh, neurology, nor psychology, nor speech pathology, but I think he's senile. I think he doesn't remember things. I think he's in advanced, or I'm sorry, early stages rather of of some sort of mental debility. Debilitate is that the word I'm looking for? Maybe I maybe I have it. Uh, but but he's he certainly is debilitated. Is what I'm trying to say. I think mentally there is something that is just off. Uh, that is probably due to his age and and whatever other conditions he may have. Do you think that 
the American people, every time they hear one of his rambling, mumbling, stumbling, and incoherent answers, think that, well, that's just Joe being Joe, or do you think they get this, that there is a serious mental incapacitation here that's on the rise? You know, Bob, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm a political guy, so I just do the campaign stuff. But but here's the thing. You know, the choice is going to be pretty clear between somebody that has done a very good job in rebuilding this economy and unrestraining uh, the regulations that have kept our economy down. He's been a steady hand getting us through uh, this crisis versus somebody who, I, I tell you, there are a lot more questions about whether or not Joe Biden uh, can take the high pressure that is being a president of the United States. I mean, it is a tough job, uh, and anybody that does it has to be uh, on the top, very top of their game. Um, and I just don't think he's there. And, uh, and again, you know, I, I think that he, when he, his campaign's made some bizarre decisions on how they've, uh, put him out there publicly yeah. and I, uh you know what what we'll, we'll just you know i mean we can't control what they do in their campaign we can what we do and we'll just continue to react and take advantages where we can do you concern yourself or does the campaign at large concern yourself at all with prepping for the presumptive nominee in terms of, you know, getting the president ready for debates, whether they be in person or via Zoom or whatever, uh, and, and the entire campaign against Biden? Uh, do you concern yourself at all with the possibility that he won't make it to the nomination? That the the recognition in the DNC is going to be there that, you know, he's going to have to slide this off to somebody else because he just can't do this? Well, you know, the the, the Democratic Party basically solidified uh, his position as a presumptive nominee when Bernie Sanders uh, suspended his campaign. I mean, uh, they they that didn't just happen. Uh, he didn't just, Sanders didn't just wake up. I mean, he got a lot of pressure. People talked to him. I don't know if there were deals cut or whatever, but it, they basically stepped aside and eliminated any opportunity for a contestant. Well, well, you're right. From a, from a delegate standpoint, Bob, obviously you're right. I mean, he's, you know, yeah. there's nobody out. But what I mean is he gets his nomination but doesn't make it to the election. He, he, he picks his running mate, his nominee uh, uh, for, think, for yeah. vice president and then says, this is, this person is going to be the top of the ticket because, uh, you know, the governor's, or excuse me, the senator's, the former vice president's health is just not what it needs to be. That, cause that's what some people are saying that, you know, this vice presidential pick is going to be the most important, maybe, in, in political history. Uh, because this person is almost certain to ascend to the presidency at some point, either before the election, you know, to the nomination before the election or the presidency before term one is done. Right. Well, it, you know, it's hard to know what kind of a decision uh, Joe Biden's going to make. He keeps changing his mind on so many of these critical issues. You know, you have him on uh, online with Al Gore, and he's talking about shutting down fracking and, and getting rid of automobiles and 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 then you have his people come out and say, oh, no, 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 that's not what he meant. Then you, you see him talking about the Green New Deal and other stuff, and oh, no, no, that's not what he meant. So I don't know how they, they, they make decisions. I mean, we're going to run the kind of campaign that we ran in 2016 because it worked and because the president has stayed true to his campaign promises. Uh, he's campaigned on some very specific things. That message was incredibly 
effective here in Ohio. He won by eight and a half percentage points, which is just a huge victory in a battleground state like this. And uh, I see no reason why to shift the strategy or the messaging at all. We'll continue to execute that irrespective of who 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 the Democrats pick as a vice president and, and how this plays itself out. And and we'll just going to continue to do what we're going to do. It, yeah. We still have the support. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. And I love the fact that the president's approval rating, despite all of the criticism from the media and from the Democrats, uh, has been negative, that he has not handled this right, that he was late to the party and understanding the severity. He called it a hoax. All of this nonsense they've been spewing. Yet the American people, despite that, still overwhelmingly approve of the job that he is doing in handling this vi- this virus and, and then overall job performance as a result. So that's uh, that support is still there, and that's the most important thing. Uh, Bob Paduchik, Bob Paduchik of Team Trump, Trump 2020. Great to talk to you again. As always, keep up the good work. We'll talk to you again. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Be safe. God bless. Thank you. And you as well. 1051. Hey, don't forget, by the way, a little bit later today or maybe over the weekend, if you're looking for some entertainment and you can't go to the movies, how about watching the number one political documentary of 2019, No Safe Spaces, with Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla, co-stars, co-producers, co-writers of this entire thing. Uh, no Safe Spaces is available for a limited time at nosafespaces.com. And when you enter the discount code for our listeners, which is SAVE25, S-A-V-E-2-5, that stands for SAVE25, you will indeed save 25% on the price of No Safe Spaces. So check it out online right now. Uh, this movie had a 99% audience approval rating at RottenTomatoes.com, the highest rating for any film last year. And if you don't think it's relevant this year, if you don't think that the, uh, the, the issues raised in No Safe Spaces about your free speech and expression being in serious jeopardy from the radical left, you're not paying attention. It's in more jeopardy now than it was in 2019. Our liberties are literally under attack. And if you say the wrong thing on social media or at work or at your place of worship or at your uh, school, you are in serious jeopardy. No Safe Spaces addresses all of that. And by the way, it'll make you smile a little bit, too. Check it out online at nosafespaces.com. Save 25% with SAVE25 as your discount code, and we'll be right back. Final segment. Very short one. It's 1057. I got time for one call, maybe a call and a half. That means super short. So let's make them quick. Sally and Berea, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Sally. Go ahead. Hi. Um, I'm addressing the medical risk for the entire country, not just large urban areas uh, like New York City. These uh, blanket diktats that say, oh, no elective surgeries uh, have been very detrimental. Some of those Small local, small town local hospitals are at risk of closing, and even university hospitals, the mega ones, have uh, cut their staff greatly because of the lack of them. Uh, the focus on the COVID patients only, and some of the local um, suburban emergency rooms had to close temporarily, uh, putting at risk uh, stroke patients that need immediate attention for their recovery, and so. Um, I'm tired of all these blanket diktats that um, address uh, small area, smaller areas, but not the entire country. 
I, I think that's well said and, and very and very important as well. Sally, thank you so much for your phone call. I appreciate it. I want, excuse me, I want to squeeze one more call in from Wellington. Roger, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob. Hey, um, one thing I'd like to say is, one, for all the Christians out there that believe, they should remember that Jesus taught his disciples in Mark 10:28. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill your soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy your body and your soul in hell. And two, I think um, the '60s dust off some of them records because I was listening to Bread Mother Freedom. Um, it's an excellent song for this day because people need to realize freedom is so important. Since Janis Jep or Janis uh, Janis Joplin said, I, I ran out of time, free- Roger. I'm sorry. I tried to get it all in, but I'm out of it now. So I appreciate the phone call. Thanks very much for the time, uh, for the call rather, and thanks to everybody else. Thanks to my guests. Have a great day. Be well. Be safe. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye bye. Enjoy the silence.